Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting, and also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 276, a new turkey hunting book with Ron and Tess Jolly. And I am your co-host and the guy who really could not be happier that deer season is finally over in Alabama. And I am your co-host and the guy who found a new honey hole over the weekend for Tennessee turkey season. Do tell. Went scouting for the first time on Saturday, about 20 steps in the woods, found a gobbler track, always a good sign, place I've never been, continued forward, had my dogs with me, they flushed a big flock of turkeys. Saw turkeys everywhere. There was scratching everywhere. Saw a big gobbler. Needless to say, I will be listening in there the week before Tennessee opens to see who is available in there. And was this Saturday that this happened? It was this past Saturday. So About what time? About 2 o'clock in the afternoon, probably. Perfect. So I'm assuming the dogs still have on the gps tracking collars that i sent them so yeah, yeah. good 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 i've got that exactly. spot mapped out so if any of you guys or gals listening in tennessee want a good hunting spot just email me andy at i am turkey hunting.com <laughs> i'll be glad to share cameron's new honey hole that he found Yes, yes. And if you enjoy Longbeard XR number fives to the back windshield, <laughs> you'll pull in there on opening day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, I won't shoot at you. Yeah, not not directly at you, just yeah. kind of in your just direction. Up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you didn't have a very good deer season? Oh, no. I, it was a good deer season. I saw a bunch of deer. I saw a bunch of deer on my little bitty piece of property south of Birmingham. Hmm. I mean, there were days when I would sit over there and there'd be 14 deer either in the field or feeding at the feeder. Did you shoot any does, anything, or? I did. I killed two does off of my property. Nice. And... I wanted to shoot more, 
because really the deer are starving out there. I mean, it's crazy. It's just how, too many. Yeah. And there are a few deer out there that you can see their rib cage and mm. you can see their hip bones. And so I need to kill some more does off of it, but it got to that point in the year to where I was thinking, all right, I really don't need to be shooting any more does. I need to keep some does around so that I'll have some lure for some bucks. Mm-hmm. But season came and went, and I don't know that the deer ever really started chasing down there very well. You've said that the past few years that y'all hadn't really got much of a rut. Yeah. Well, Yeah. I guess you say you're happy it's over because uh, the ending of deer season means the real deal is right around the corner. <laughs> right around the corner, for sure. And the NWTF convention's coming up mm-hmm. next week. And I'm stoked about that. I hate that you're going to miss it. I know. I'm, I'm pretty sad I'm going to miss it. I'm going to be having fun where I am, but, it, you know, still going to miss being there. It's it's a lot of fun getting to see you and your wife and getting to hang out. Yeah. And talk turkey with a ton of people. It's about as much fun as I can have before turkey season. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It will get you really fired up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. But... I'm pretty fired up anyway. I've, I've been fired up for a while now. And how uh, how many days do we have, Andy, till Alabama's open? 37 days, 10 hours, 5 minutes, and 42 seconds. How about <sighs> South Florida? 22 days, Man. some hours, and some minutes. Hmm. And I'll be chasing the Osceola Gobbler for the first time in South Florida. That'll be a fun trip. I cannot wait. Now listen, don't lose the recorder and your microphone the first day <laughs> of the trip, okay? But then the, literally the first time I crawled anywhere on the first day of the first trip, recorder was gone, so I do apologize for that. But resupplied us. This time I might zip it into a pocket and just have the cord coming out. Maybe that would help. Yeah, so what I do is I run the cord for the microphone inside my shirt. Yeah, that would also be smart. And then I bring the end of the cord out of the top of my zipper of my pants and take the recorder where that end of the microphone cord is plugged into and just stick that in my pocket, my pants pocket. Yeah. Well. You only really have at that point about I don't know, eight inches of microphone cord sticking out, and if it gets hung on something, you know it because it's pulling your shirt and it's pulling your pants. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'll be better about it this year, hopefully, and hopefully I'll get some audio. I just hope a big old Osceola fires up on the limb and me and the buddy I'm going with, hopefully we both just kill one a piece the first morning and be done with it. <laughs> If that happens, are you coming back immediately, or are you going to hang out there for a day or two? Because that's got a long four drive. Days. So, you know, we can each only kill one at the place we're going originally, 
and so then if we kill there we may just have to go somewhere else i don't know i hope we get to that problem i haven't discussed it with him yet i hope we have a long deep discussion regarding this topic after we've doubled up on two long spurred osceola gobblers mm-hmm. <laughs> i hope it works out that way me too then i'm gonna come up and kill one in mississippi go kill one in georgia kill one the next weekend in georgia and then i'll get to start hunting in tennessee that's mm-hmm. an I- ideal world a boy can dream can't he <laughs> <laughs> gotta stay positive you've taught me that over the that's years absolutely the truth 100 percent. you have taught me that because i used to get pretty down and you always stay pretty positive on no matter the situation so if you're not positive and have a positive attitude when you go out why go out yep so especially if you're hunting with somebody nobody wants to hunt with a debbie downer it's no fun for anybody and when you're down you make your partner down nothing ever goes right when everybody's down you know there's a lot of truth to that so stay positive out there even on those non-gobbling days cool man well that's all pretty exciting stuff and i'm looking forward to hopefully getting some good audio from you on that trip and what do we have in store for the listeners today well we're going to start out with the jollies and they were gracious enough to come on ron is being inducted in the nwtf hall of fame which is awesome deal that is a huge deal yeah if look up the list of names that are being inducted and, and you will recognize all of them this is a I think Knight and Hale are both going in this year. So you got a lot of big names in there. And then his wife, Tess, if you've ever seen any turkey pictures ever, you've probably seen some of Tess's work. Yeah. She is probably the premier turkey photographer on earth. And we talked to them about a new book that Ron has written. And then we go over videoing and photographing living and dead turkeys and it's really interesting it's really interesting yeah the i'm tell i tell you i'm excited about the book and i'm gonna pick up two copies yes two copies this coming weekend and they'll both be signed to me so i'm gonna (laughs) send you a copy of the book that i get for you and it's gonna have my name in it that's fantastic Happy hunting to Andy Galliano. I'll have that on my shelf. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to have him put in there the best turkey hunter I know. So that every time you open up that book and you read that, you'll know that I am the best turkey hunter that Ron Jolly knows. There you go. Yeah, that would be be good. I'd I'd like that. And it would be a lie, too, but it would be good. (laughs) Ron knows some pretty good turkey hunters, so that would be a pretty tall order. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. I think I may do that. Yeah, do it. That'd be unique. I'd like to see it on my shelf. I I just put a bookshelf in my turkey room today and put all my books on there. So. Ooh, or better yet, I may have him just make it out to Audrey. (laughs) And to, to the best turkey hunting wife ever, as she is. I don't know now. Tammy, Tammy is making a run at that too. So 
Well, they're both very patient, so. No doubt. Nothing, nothing to complain about there, so. No doubt. That's a big part of success for turkey hunting, being able to go. Yeah, this book sounds like it's going to be really good. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I've read some of Ron's writing before, and I think it's going to be great. Um, I can't uh, wait. I've, yeah. After speaking to them, I read some online articles that he's written and can just tell from the way he writes it's going to be a really good book and going to put you in the story with him there mm-hmm. and so i think it's going to be a hit i hope a lot of folks who are listeners that are going to be at the nwtf swing by ron's booth tell him hey man we heard you got a book pick one up because he's going to be well we'll talk about that all in the interview where he's going to be and everything like that so yeah and for any of you guys that do pick up a book be sure to let him know that you heard about it on the turkey hunter podcast yeah we would greatly appreciate that you know we don't get anything from that other than the satisfaction of knowing that ron knows his time spent with us was not wasted yeah that and that's true that's what matters because if we can't bring guests on this show that benefit from being on the show by selling books or turkey calls or whatever it happens to be, then it's going to be difficult to get guests to come on the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when you order a book, please let Ron know that you heard about it on the Turkey Hunter podcast and any of you guys going to nashville this weekend can pick up a copy live and in person ron's going to tell you where and what do you say we jump into it and go let's do it all right listen in close and we'll see you on the other side see you on the other side hey everybody i'm excited to tell you that i have on the line with me tonight ron and tess jolly and this i believe is the first time that i've had four people on a call with Skype and Skype was not real excited about me having one person on a call earlier. So we're going to give this a run with four people, but you guys who listen to the show regularly probably remember Tess from a show I did about photographing turkeys. And this has been goodness, probably two and a half years ago or so. And I would say this if she wasn't listening, but it was one of my favorite shows. And I've got probably two handfuls of favorite shows that I will listen to multiple times. And that show was one of them. And we got not only Tess, but we got Ron, her husband, on the phone with us tonight. And we're going to talk about, well... Of course, Wild Turkeys, but also Ron's new book that's coming out in the in the not-too-distant future. And we have Cameron on the line with us as well. So I'm going to just start by saying, Ron and Tess, thank you both very much for coming on with us tonight. How are you guys? We're good. Appreciate you having us. Yes, we, we really appreciate this. It's always good to talk about wild turkeys. <laughs> Isn't it? 
That's one of my favorite topics, that's for sure. Yeah. Especially after a day full of talking about boring mortgage stuff from <laughs> 7 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm, I'm glad to have you guys on here. Cameron, how are you today? I'm doing well. Ready to co-host my first podcast, so this should go well, I hope. And I, I appreciate y'all coming on the show as well. I'm looking forward to picking your brains myself. All right, we're ready. Shouldn't take long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron, you want to jump in with the first question? Yeah, well, first I wanted to congratulate you, Mr. Ron, on getting inducted into the NWTF Hall of Fame coming up. Absolutely. Heck yeah. Thank you very much. I was uh, messaged Paul Butsky today. He's been inducted as well. He's one of the group, and I texted him. I said, who the hell would thunk it? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, not me. <laughs> and not me either. It was It's very humbling, and it's a great, great honor and something that I, I never really would have even dreamed of, but I'm certainly, certainly honored and proud of it. So I appreciate you bringing it up. And I'm proud of oh, it yeah. as well. I bet. Uh, I saw that on your Facebook page, I guess it was. A lot of folks were congratulating you and things like that. And I thought that was awesome. It looked like a great lineup of folks going to be inducted this coming year. It really is. And, I mean, you know, to be included in that group, you know, I'd been informed about this about three months ago, but I was told to keep it quiet. So uh, for the longest time, I thought it was one of Preston Pittman's cruel jokes where, (laughs) (laughs) and and I I finally just called him. I said, are are you kidding me? He said, nope, it's true, but you can't tell anybody. I said, okay, now what? (laughs) What do you do? It was a pretty long period of time there where, you know, they just kept it on the hush hush. And can I say Jolly has a little trouble keeping secret? I struggle at all on keeping turkey secrets, but something like that—that that was that was hard. I was waiting for Christmas. Yeah. Oh yeah, I bet. And well, you're right great. about Preston and and joking around. That's for sure. That that was a valid question to be asking him. <laughs> I've known Preston since. Well, I've known Preston longer than I've known Will Primos and. There's some history there that, in fact, I tried to get Preston to let me help him with his first video, and this before I ever met Will, and Preston told me, he says, Dolly, do you have any idea what you're getting yourself into if you do this? I said, I don't know, but I want to do it. He said, you have no idea, and he he didn't let me help him, so <laughs> he was right. <laughs> It's been a good ride, though. Yeah, I was just about to say it probably has been. Um, Well, first I wanted to ask you, just last week on the podcast, we were talking about all the turkey hunting books that I like to read, and I saw that you had written one, and you're going to have it on display the first time at the NWTF convention. Is that right? Yes. Memories of Spring is is the title of the book, and... Tess and I have been collaborating on this for a long, long time, and 
it's a collection, a big part of it's a collection of stories I've written and published, and then a bunch of them are stories that have never been published. And, of course, the photography is Tess's work, and, you know, that's kind of the icing on the cake. And I, yeah. I made a lot of these jealous. I showed them the artwork for the cover. They said, it don't matter what the book, what the words say, you can sell them with the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> That's the general idea, boys. There you go. I was just going to say, anybody who loves turkeys and loves turkey hunting, the kind of storytelling that Jolly does is something that leaves you with a good feeling. And, you know, it's not a how-to book, like you said, but you will learn some tips in it. But it's it's a great piece of work. Well, that's awesome. I can tell you that I'm excited about getting my hands on a copy of it and so i will definitely see you guys at the nwtf and and be getting a copy of your book from you because i'm i'm fired up about that i i I have read some of your stories before ron and uh, and i if it's any indication of what the book's going to be like it ought to be it ought to be a good one well i appreciate it i was it's kind of like a perfect storm. Tess and I, you know, we we stay pretty busy and active. And when this all started coming together, we had no idea about the Hall of Fame induction. That's a big plus. Then I asked Wilbur, would, would he review it and critique it for me? And would he write the forward? And he did. That's a plus. And then they invited us back to the Primo's booth, which I hadn't been in that booth in almost 25 years. It's testified on each other. And, you know, it's just, God is good, man, I'm telling you. It's a bunch of things are seem to be coming together now. I can only hope that everybody thinks it's, you know, it's what I hope it'll be. Well, absolutely. So when did you first get the urge to write and publish a bigger work? Do you want the truth? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Give That'd me be food, ideal. Give me the fake answer and then give me the truth. <laughs> well, I'm just, just going to put it to you this way. If it takes me as long to write the next one as it did this one, there won't be another one. <laughs> <laughs> because I started, you know, my... I the time to do it. The, the time is one thing, and I, I think I have the time to do it now, but the inspiration I don't know that I have. But, you know, my, my story goes back to, as a, as a writer, goes back to John E. Phillips. You know, remember John? I do. And um, I took John on a turkey hunt in the Delta of Mississippi soon after I started at Primo's, and, and we did – several hunts and John became a a friend and somewhere along the way I wrote a story and I thought I could sell it to Turkey Call Magazine but in my insecurity I said I'm going to get Bubba to critique it for me so I bundled it up put it in an envelope sent it to John with a little note says would you please read this and tell me what you think well it was snail mail you know and I was busy running everywhere and I came off the road one day, and in the mailbox was this envelope that looked fairly thick, and I opened it up, and it was from John Phillips. And there was the manuscript of the first story I ever sold to Turkey Call Magazine on 
only thing John wrote on the whole thing is your damn story. Tell it good enough for somebody to buy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's how it all kind of started for me. And I don't like writing about how to and where to. You know, there's more to turkey hunting than that, and that kind of gets lost. The tie between the hunter and the bird and that relationship it just kind of gets lost, and, and that's what I like to do. I, I do other things, but, like, frankly, that's the market now. But this book has a lot of that relationship between the people that cross my path, turkey hunting, and some of the bad turkeys that go along the way, and tested story in mine. And it's happy stories, it's sad stories, and some tragic stories. But the turkey is always stark in my, everything I do in this book or try to make it great well that sounds awesome i definitely will be getting a copy myself i i love stories about those bad birds like you were saying and i'm more of a i like books that are full of stories rather than fully tips and tactics you know because you can pick up stuff from the stories but they're more entertaining that was the idea in the in the opening of the book I state that it's not hard sell how-to, where-to stories. If you read them, you'll figure out how a certain turkey got outwitted or how a turkey mm-hmm. outwitted me and, you know, draw your own conclusions. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think there's definitely more information about turkey hunting to be garnered from stories and telling exactly what happened on a hunt because it is the real world and you know the the stuff we read the how-to stuff you read in a book that's no different than a textbook on whatever the subject happens to be math let's take that versus actually putting real world examples that include math in your day-to-day dealings and all of a sudden well i'm a math guy so i'm going to say this out loud math is not quite as boring as it is in a textbook well like i said i'm a math guy so i that might be hard for me to prove (laughs) but you know it's just i'm really looking forward to reading the book and you know i think that the best turkey hunting books out there and this obviously is open for argument but the best ones out there are the ones that share stories and you know where we can pick up things that we can use in the woods from those stories well there's one thing i'm gonna say one thing and test got something there's one thing that's going to make this book completely different than any turkey book you've ever read, because I dare you to find a turkey book that has a story in it named My Wife Harvey. I think you might be right. You stumped me on that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hadn't read anything like that before, so that's... We're not telling you anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you got me hooked now. I got to read it. And <laughs> already heard this story if you recall but i i was about to to say that i believe i have heard the story maybe not in its entirety but a a good portion of it 
and I I was thinking that was that was the one. So okay, but uh, yeah, I would like to say one thing about Jolly's book, and that's and it and we both feel this way. It's you know our gift. God gives everybody a gift, and it's up to us to find a way to share it with other people and do good with it. And his is communicating with words, and if I have a, a gift, it's you know, getting close to wildlife and capturing the moments that a lot of people never get to see. And I think he honors the wild turkey in his writing as much as I have that goal also is to give honor to the bird, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. make it fun along the way and entertaining and you know, just make people happy, and hopefully they learn something. Yeah, and I can say, Tess, that with the quality of the photographs that you take, it is nothing but a tribute to the bird. And, you know, that also speaks volumes about the artist, the photographer that's taking those pictures. So... You know, I'm I'm looking forward to this. I mean, with pictures from both of you guys in the book <laughs> and with stories from Ron in the book, this can't help but be a great one. I mean, uh, it, it can't be anything but a great one. So I'm fired up about this. So is there is there a lot of photography in the book? I was wondering that I figured surely there would be. First of all, let me set the record straight. I have never taken a picture good enough to make my book. <laughs> they're all. They're all. Is any Tess's photography in the book? <laughs> so, I'll let Tess explain that what? to you about the photography and why we went the way we did. Well, to start with, we decided to do a book that we hoped. You know, we wanted to do a coffee table book with a lot of pictures but mm-hmm. you know that that may be converted it may be converted into one down the line but we pretty much settled on a price point and a size and something that turkey hunters can take to camp with them or you yeah. know it's a soft back full color cover front and back and then all the full page photos inside are black and white but our, our designer did a great job converting them over, and each chapter section has full-page wild turkey photos. And there's some other photos, you know, like an old camp house and some things like that in it. But uh, we're proud of the way it's turning out, and, you know, we're hoping down the line it might we might be able to do a collector's edition and add a little something to it. Mm-hmm. But hopefully everybody will be pleased with it and and enjoy it and and get something from it. Yeah, so we'll I have think there. You got to do stop by. We'll we'll have them. Uh, well, I'm, um, definitely we'll do that. And you guys are going to be at the Primos booth mm-hmm. selling the books. Okay, all right. Yeah. So for those of us who are going to be at the show, how much are the books? Twenty five dollars is two hundred and thirty pages, two hundred and thirty nine pages. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty a pretty substantial 
paperback book. Uh, we we tried to land on a price that we felt was fair, and we compared, you know, this book to other books who were, you know, half that size, and and you know, turkey books, that turkey books that were half that size, and and mm-hmm. you know, when you something like this for the first time, it's kind of like, you know going fishing or something the first time we don't really know but we think we've done our research and we think that the reason we couldn't do it hardback and full color was we absolutely knew that we you know there'll be some people that buy them but your average turkey hunter your average reader mm-hmm. is money on a book i mean retail would have been 50 plus dollars on a, or maybe even you know it'd been over 50 dollars so we took this route, and, and if it's a success, then we'll go the other route and try to, you know, stroke those people who are collectors and want it in that version. But that's all good stuff to have to worry about, but we're not worried about it right now. <laughs> yeah. And so, so far, the reaction has been really good. So we'll have it up on Amazon after, right after the show. Okay. Okay. You can order hard, you know, their print copies on Amazon. We'll have all the information there at the show, so it'll it'll launch right after we finish Saturday. So the the convention is more or less the launch pad and the initial promoting of this, of this book. What we didn't want to do, we're so busy starting after the show, photographing and deadlines and other stuff. We didn't want right. to get into inventory and fulfillment and all that with just one prop so we just decided that that was a way to go and we talked to a bunch of folks who do it that way and they're happy so i'm sure we'll be happy with it we haven't seen the quality of it yet so we're not going to throw it out there yeah as far as publishing goes i know there's you know i've talked to a few people that listen to this show who you know are they have books out about stories, turkey hunting related, that they're self-publishing. Did you guys go, I mean, did you use some of your connections and, and go with a, a big publishing house or you go in with a smaller publication company and or self-publishing? What exactly, how are y'all handling that? Uh, Jolly retired from the state conservation department and one of his co-workers Billy Pope is a graphics artist and he laid out the book and we went with an online book publishing mm-hmm. so he's done the complete layout and we're, we've gone that way so that's that's how it's, it's bookbaby.com is okay we went and the <laughs> reason we did the process takes about five times as long if you don't do it that way. And right. It's laid out and get it scheduled with a printer and they run, make their run and, you know, it, it was just it was just a lot. They had a lot more options doing it, like you said, self-publishing. And we hired the graphics and layout guy and, and we're just real happy with what he did and he kind of guided us through it. And I would advise anybody doing this Unless you're pretty much a geek, you better get somebody to help you. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet that is pretty in-depth and a time-consuming process as well. But that that's great that you had those connections to be able to 
to use that and get somebody to lay the book out for you. Yeah, he was he was gracious Great. enough to help us with it, and we're just very satisfied with with the way it looks at this point. Fantastic. So for the people who want to buy a copy after the show, it's going to be $25, and they can go to Amazon and type in Memories of Spring. You need to put my name with it. You need to put either Ron Jolly Memories of Spring or Memories of Spring Ron Jolly. They've got such a huge, they want something a little more concise than just Memories of Spring. So if you put my name with it, you'll get it. All right. So maybe I can trick you into putting your John Hancock on a copy of me at the show. Five dollars extra. Yeah. All right. Hey, Cameron, Cameron, don't tell them that I would have paid ten extra. Uh, I would be honored. And Seth would too. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. That'd be awesome. And then if I can uh, find Wilbur roaming around somewhere and get him to sign the forward of it, I'd have it. It'd be complete, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. I mean, there's a compliment to the book by Preston Pittman, John Brown Jr., Gary Sethan, Jim Cassida. Five or six guys endorsed it, and we put that right in the front. So you might run down a bunch of those guys. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Absolutely. There'll be a bunch of them there, that's for sure. Very good. I appreciate you guys sharing that with us. Cameron has a couple of questions for you about filming hunts. Is that something y'all want to take a little bit of time and talk to us about too? Sure. We don't do it much like we used to, but that hasn't changed except for the equipment. Well, that actually equipment wise was one question. If somebody, your average turkey hunter, you know, the regular Joe is wanting to video a hunt, that they're going on or whatever. Is there a video camera, you know, relatively inexpensive kind of video camera that you think would be a good choice? I've been trying to look at one myself and I've looked at dozens and I don't really know what all those numbers mean and everything (laughs) on the frames and all that kind of stuff. Is there a certain camera you'd say like, Hey, this wouldn't be a good one for somebody to pick up and go shoot a hunt with. Not really because they'll all do it. Nowadays they're all shooting 1080p footage, which is high def, and mm-hmm. a lot of them is 4K, which is you know just the next step up. What there are things that I would encourage you to look for in any camera you buy by Sony or Canon or you know any of the major companies is mm-hmm. first of all you need a camera that has manual focus. You yeah. don't want a camera that does not offer that. Because if you're tracking a turkey and he goes behind a tree, you're focused on the tree. So mm-hmm. that's one point. Um, you know, I, what I always try to tell people, and this technology changes so much. Seth and I video, what we video anymore, we video with a DSLR camera. You know, mm-hmm. flip a button and you're shooting still, flip a button the other way, you're shooting 1080 or 4K video. I mean, mm-hmm. the technology comes so far. I mean, the cameras these guys took now would fit in your hat where, you know, when I was doing that for a career, <laughs> I could fit in the box if they came. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's really changed, and 
they're a lot more user friendly, but it it doesn't matter whether you're you buy the most expensive camera on the market or just the regular little prosumer camera that you know no bigger than your hat. You still got to learn the basics, and that's get a tripod, get an extended microphone, and get a windsock on that, and learn the button. I mean, it's just that simple. And you go from one camera to the next to the next, the buttons are all different. So to tell you one specific camera, the one I shoot is a, right now is a Nikon D500 DSLR. And have yeah. batteries too, huh? Oh, well, <laughs> that just goes to say, but at least you don't have to tote around a pocket full of tapes. You got a couple of postage size, stamp size SD cards that are hold right. more than that case of, you know, beta tape. <laughs> it's just crazy. But Tess has got a, a a smaller camera that she's real fond of. This, the, your little Nike. The Sony. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm a I'm a Nikon shooter, but I I did buy a Sony RX10 version two point and shoot that has 4K video and I think you can put an off-board mic on, plug it into it. And if you want something to throw in your pack that you can just shoot off your knee, it has hmm. image stabilization. The What they call bridge cameras means they're not a consumer quality, but they're not a professional DSLR. They're still a point-and-shoot, point but they have great technology. And for the average person... They want to sit down and shoot a turkey hunt. If you've got somebody, if you're videoing someone, you can do a lot with a with what they call a bridge camera. And you can Google bridge bridge cameras, and it'll come up. You can learn about features and how they compare. And the price is also something that most people can afford. Okay, that's great. The one you were referencing is a Sony what? Sony. Cybershot, C-Y-B-E-R, Cybershot RX-10, it's a version 2 II, it'll zoom out to about 400 millimeters. It'll go further than that, but you lose your quality, but it'll zoom quite a ways out there, and you can shoot it off of the um, monitor or through the optical viewfinder. So you've got you can shoot both ways. You can shoot all man. You can shoot manual. You can manually focus it. Hmm. Compact. One thing about these bridge cameras, if you're kind of a casual shooter, you're doing it for yourself. Having a field system rather than picking up like the D500 that you've got to put on and off of. They're higher dollar. These bridge cameras. You don't have to worry so much about moisture and dirt and dust and all of that. And that's a huge mm-hmm. plus for all of us wildlifers and hunters is to be able to pack that thing and not worry about changing lenses. So a 400-millimeter lens will, at 40, 50 yards, you'd have no problem focusing in on a turkey at that distance? Think of it this way. A 400-millimeter lens is the equivalent of an eight-power pair of binoculars. So oh, wow. Okay. You can, you can kind of visualize it that way. I huh. use a 
plans to photograph turkeys, and it allows you to, if they're out there within 20, 30 yards, you're going to have plenty of turkey in the frame. <laughs> Nikon makes a bridge camera. They've just come out with a P950. They have a P1000, and it's one of those ones that's more hype than practicality. They, it zooms out to like a thousand millimeters or something crazy. But they've they just come out with a P950 that's back more realistic that will shoot raw files, which anybody that shoots much will know what a raw file is. It, mm -hmm. it offers that, so and it shoots movies and all that. So it would be the equivalent of one of those Sony Cybershots on one, a Nikon. One thing I'd like to add, when you get much beyond the focal length of lenses that she's talking about, you start creating problems of being able to keep it steady. It's everybody has the same problem. There's never a big enough lens. You, you always want a bigger lens. Well, that's not to be really good at it. You need to figure out how to get closer because when you get those big lenses, there's no way that you can hold it steady. Unless you have a good tripod. Yeah. I mean, you've got to use a tripod if you're going to. But even at that, you can see your heartbeat sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. You'd definitely see mine if one was getting in close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tess, do you, like your bridge camera, do you have it camoed? No. Okay. No, they're black, and usually your hands are, you have your gloves on, and your hand is going to cover enough of the camera that, you know, it's not It's right. not like the old video cameras where you hung up the camo over it and kind of hid those little ones. You could put a few little strips of camo tape on it that made you feel better. But you're going to cover up some buttons. Yeah, you're, you're going to cover up yeah. buttons. I have put some uh, Optec neoprene camo. They make it for your longer lenses for doing deer. Um, I have done some camo on my longer lenses. Mm -hmm. But for those bridge cameras, they're not big enough to really bother unless you get something that's real light colored or shiny. It's the main thing, you know, reflecting off of things. And most right. of them are, you know, a flat black. Yeah. And that, that was a question I was going to ask you. So each of you can answer because I know you both have experience with this, but how important does the sun rise play in your setup or just the sun period well i will tell you one thing never point your lens straight at the sun uh, these digital cameras you can burn out your pixels and if you're going to do some pointing at the sun try to hide part of the sun behind something and don't leave it pointed at it any length of time if you want to take a quick shot do it but you know, everybody, the general rule is put it, the sun behind you. But if you shoot that way all the time, your photos are going to look the same all the time. So I mm. tell people, get low, get high, move around, and use the sun in every way you can. Uh, overhead is probably the hardest because the light is harsh and the shadows are black. Right. But, you know, where we both write about real world hunting 
sometimes you write an article where you need to illustrate a turkey or a deer that's moving in the middle of the day. So I say shoot every chance you get and shoot all you can and shoot anytime you can. But if you're really looking for artistic, creative opportunities and that sort of thing, you go early and late and then use the level of the sun to the horizon to your advantage. Just get very creative. Don't shoot the same thing same way all the time. Go ahead. <laughs> Video guys are not that, you know, they're they're not that picky about it because video cameras are a little less, I won't say sensitive, but video footage is, you know, I'm shooting 30 frames a second. She's shooting one. She pulls the trigger and she shot one. Man, I'm shooting 30. So I got some leeway there with iris and shutter speed and stuff like that. But obviously, if you've got the sun behind you, like she's talking about at a low angle, the, the shadows are not as harsh. If you want to do backlit stuff, there's perfect. You know, you can set that up and do it. All you got to do is get the turkey or the deer or whatever you're trying to do that's wild and don't give a flip about what you want to do what you want. And, you know, so you just have to catch it with a video camera. You just shoot it and make it work. The turkey that she's hunting or photographing is, is just as wild as the turkey that I'm Video. The difference is, I'm trying to kill him. She's not trying to kill hers. <laughs> they know the difference. <laughs> yes, they do. So, you've given us some good tips already. And, Ron, I think the tip you gave about with video camera, you know, being familiar with it, knowing what your buttons do, and all that are great. What other tips do you think both video and still shot? You know, what have you run across problems and, and ways to fix those problems? The first one that comes to mind is dropping a camera in water. Mm. Make sure you drop it in deep water. You don't want to get insurance because you can find it and you're gonna, it's, it's done. You know, that's just a fact. Because, you know, I've had this little. <laughs> <laughs> I've had I've had as little as two or three raindrops. Oh yeah. Past a thirty thousand dollar beta camp, you know, it was fixable. <laughs> you know, water is your worst enemy, so be prepared when you take your stuff out. I always have a garbage bag. You know, I mean it's mm -hmm. pretty. But I can put a garbage bag, put it around it and I can get where I need to be and get it out of the weather. But, you know, going in and out of hot and cold will do the same thing. If your camera's hot, walk out of your truck and step out into a frosty morning, lens going to fog up. If you do it bad enough, it's going to do, you'll get a warning that's called do. And not this, when it does, you're done until you dry it out. And, and it'll get wet inside. Yeah, it yeah. just shuts down. So moisture's a terrible thing for, for cameras. They're not very rugged. They're pretty fragile. So you have to treat them with care and clean them and clean lenses. And, you know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's another book right there somewhere, but I don't want to write it. <laughs> <laughs> then there are cameras that are ruggedly built for harsh conditions and are pretty waterproof, 
but maintenance is to me is the biggest thing is if you get out in the dirt and the dust which we all do if you're outdoors keeping your equipment clean and using a blower to blow the sand off and dirt off before you ever wipe anything mm-hmm. one of the big nose with a lens the end of the lens is to rub that thing with a cloth before you have blown or brushed it off and you'll ruin more lenses and i see lots of folks that never clean the front of their lens it's amazing but um a little lens brush and then your lens cloths and just your breath will do it but Get that sand off of all the cracks. They'll do fine. We, you know, our professional cameras are built to withstand moisture and, you know, on the outside of them, you know, you've got to know what your camera is capable of withstanding when you buy one. Yeah. One thing that, that we do here in, in the spring is lob lolly pines. I mean, every day you go out, your equipment comes back green. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a daily deal, you know. Just... And it's sticky. Pollen is very sticky. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. It really tracks your equipment, so I keep something in the blind to cover my outfit just to, to keep a lot of it off from drifting in there and just landing on it. So being prepared with, you know, a gear bag that has a lot of things for odd conditions is a good idea. That's something I hadn't really ever thought about because I don't film. I'm so focused. Pardon the uh, expression there. <laughs> I'm so concentrated <laughs> on squeezing the trigger on one that I haven't thought about, you know, filming. And even if I hunt with a friend, I'm usually back calling for them and that kind of thing instead of trying to film the hunts. But I, and I've never really thought about that, but yes, that pollen sticks to everything and it gets in cracks that you didn't know you had cracks. Yeah. So you know, I can imagine. I'm going to give you a little tip. That uh, if you if you're going to carry a camera, and this goes for scopes or anything, if you go to the grocery store, you know they have all these expensive optech covers and things, and we have some of those for our cameras. But something that's really quick, if you're going to throw your camera over your shoulder or you're going to have it in a pack, you know you always want to have it cushioned. But when you hang it around your neck and you're sitting there and you, it's out in the open, I go to the grocery store and in the saran wrap and aluminum foil section, there are disposable bowl covers that are nothing more than looks like a shower cap in various sizes. Mm-hmm. Your wives would know what they are. I have shown quite a few photographers how nice those things are to stuff a few of those in your pack. And you put them over your camera on the back of your camera while walking and if you have it out of the case and it's it will keep so much dirt and moisture off of that camera body and then you can just stuff it in your pocket till you're ready to put it back on yeah but it's a great little piece of cheap gear that anybody can use and they come in different sizes so you can fit them you know there's always one or two in the bag that'll fit a camera body that you have we use them every day that's an awesome tip. And yeah. So we we walk to our stand with our gear, not in a bag. So that's why we use them every day. Yeah. Well, you know, to me, it's kind of like the gun. If you don't have your gun at ready when you're in the woods, that's when you're going to see the biggest buck. Absolutely. So, yeah. 
You know, I, I never thought about using those bowl covers for that. Cameron uses them to cover his hair so it doesn't get dirty. Yeah. When he's in the woods. When I'm hunting. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I do shower before I hunt before it works. Uh, it probably would be a good idea. <laughs> I want to take a picture of you with that bowl cover on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you one this spring and maybe walking around with a, a spray painted bowl cover on my head. <laughs> funny, funny, funny you should mention a gun right there because something that occurred to me a while ago is when you're videoing turkeys or deer or elk or waterfowl or whatever how you initially set up is the basis for making it work so everybody needs to realize that a camera on a tripod is like a right-handed gun and by that you know if you're right-handed, you can just go so far to the right and how much further you can come around to your left. So mm -hmm. I always try to set up to a goblin turkey, put my left shoulder to him and the camera's facing straight. So I've got, it just increases being able to cover the path he's going to take coming mm -hmm. when he's going, coming in. And is the camera to your left? No, I'm sitting under the camera on a tripod. Yeah, yeah. And the, the bird would be to my left. Okay. So, you just you just think about when you're sitting up to a turkey with your gun to your shoulder, how much further you can come to your left if you're right-handed. Right but video cameras don't give you that left-handed option. They're all right-handed. No, I don't yeah. Ever seen. yeah. So it just gives you some more range of motion that you're prepared to cover. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Another question I had for just your average guy who goes out and kills a wild turkey and say he's using his iPhone or he's brought him a cheap camera with him, what would be like some things they could do to kind of maximize the picture to make it look really good and kind of honor that bird and make them look good and stuff like that? Because, you know, you see people where the sun is halfway on the bird and the half's in the shade and it doesn't look good stuff like that is there any tips you have with photographing your bird by itself or with you in it you know does everything need to be in the shade does everything need to be in the sun anything like that as soon as you shoot that bird if you're with a buddy or something try to take your pictures while your excitement is high that's one hmm. tip it's your best reactions of the hunter their face and all when it's fresh the other mm -hmm. thing is if you shoot it and the sun has already gotten up with what we call hot move to a shady area but don't put a real bright background behind it or your photo may turn out dark if you don't if you're just shooting on automatic just try to find a shady area that has some shade behind it but put your this is a whole show in itself but Further, the further the background is, say a tree line is from the hunter and the bird, the better. Because what it does is it creates a portrait and all your background is going to be blurry and your turkey and your hunter will be in focus. And it, mm -hmm. it creates, uh, if you look at some turkey photos, you'll see how the background is blurred. The way you do that with a dead turkey and a hunter is find a spot that's got kind of an open spot there. It could be sky behind them or it could be a tree line or you know just bushes or pastures, a slope. 
mm-hmm. but have it back away from them far enough so that it will blur uh, yeah. in the photo. But your son is, you know, you try not to have it when it take them when they're directly overhead. But if mm-hmm. you have to, get to the shade and put your automatic flash on and let it flash hmm. and get below, below them so that it will flash up underneath the bell of the cap. Right. So yeah. That yeah. dark spot underneath the, the cap. Get your flash down a little bit lower. Have them tip the hat up just a little bit. But always... Clean the turkey's head up a little bit and show some respect for them. And then, you know, you can pose them a lot of different ways to make them look pretty. Over the knee, depending on how fresh they are, hanging, you know, keep a little loop of rope with you so you can hang them over a limb or over a fence or something that you can get them by the feet and let them drape themselves. Mm-hmm. And pay attention to to whether you've got a bunch of shadows and sun on your subjects. That's always the worst thing is it doesn't take much to plan. Just, you know, move them to a place where you've got even light. One thing that that I've learned from Tess is the importance of that flash. You know, you think you need a flash when it's dark, but that field flash is, very, very effective on a sunny day because it knocks those shadows right. off. But and the only other thing that I would add to that, if the turkey falls in the creek, go get you another turkey. No, you want your best <laughs> turkey. <laughs> because that tells the story. But they're not going to look so pretty. <laughs> uh, I defy you to make a wet turkey look good. <laughs> you know what we have done? I have done it on a hunt, on a media hunt. We had a wet turkey like that. You know, you can get real heavy dew, and a turkey looks pretty wet. He flops around in it very much. Oh, yeah. Eat them. But we've gone back to camp and used a blow dryer. You know, they get a little stiffened up, so you want to pose them kind of how you want them with the wings out or whatever. But you, if you'll take the time, if you really want to, it depends on how what much you treasure your photography, your memories. Some people are happy to throw them on a tailgate, with, and like just like deer with the tongue hanging out and blood all over. I'm right. not like that. Dolly's not like that. We believe in taking the time to clean them up a little bit, pose them nicely, and and show respect for the animal. But you can do some things, and if you have flies or yellow jackets. Come, you know, in warm weather in the spring, you can deal with bugs. So we keep um, a can of off spray and just spray the carcass. And you can do that in the fall on deer when blow, you know, you get flies and stuff around them. Yeah. You'll if you'll keep a can of bug repellent and spray that animal a little it bit, is. it helps tremendously. And then if you've got something that has you know, you found right away or the blood dries before you can get to them. Another thing to keep is a roll of paper towels and a bottle of Windex. And Windex will cut the blood, and you can spray the nose, the face, the beak, whatever, with a little Windex and wipe them off, and they look really good. Mm-hmm. How about that? Interesting. I never would have thought about off to keep the oh, flies yeah. and it's bugs off great. of them. Yeah. It's great. We use it, you know, anytime it's warm weather. 
And, you know, you get those yellow jackets will come around and flies, uh, I mean, just really quick. I hadn't thought about it, but I'm it would do it. It might, but mm-hmm. they're so to the blood that, you know, it's hard to get them off of a bloody spot. And there's nothing worse than, you know, having a bunch of blowflies or flies or something buzzing around in your picture. And especially with deer and early season bow hunting and all, you really see it then. Turkeys are more immediate because you either kill them or they fly or run off. But deer, it's really um, useful. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Very good. Well, Cameron, did you have any other questions for Ron and Tess? I think that's about it on that front. Have you heard any turkeys gobble this year yet? Not since December. Yeah. Not since December. So you hadn't heard a 2020 gobble yet. No, not yet. These turkeys here, they 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 get piled up, and on certain, I call them Hallelujah mornings when it's usually a nice little frost, and I don't know somebody stumps their toe on a limb or something, but they'll have a little gobble fit, and then they forget about it for a month or so. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Where are you all located? I'm in West Tennessee. And I had to keep myself from going listening this weekend. I just told myself it probably wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. It got kind of warm Sunday morning. I was like, they might. You never know. <laughs> well, I'm in I'm in Birmingham, and yeah. I actually had two toms strutting not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before for 11 hens and three jakes and had a little bit of gobbling going on too. And I think that might have gotten Cameron a little beyond fired up to where he was going to go and listen this past weekend. Well, well, next week, Cameron, you know what the NWTF will do to you. Oh, yeah. I, I know. I've, I love it. That's usually when it kicks off my scouting. When I get back from that, that is when I go scouting. Because yeah. it just gets me too tore up about it. I hear you. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys tonight. Oh, I've enjoyed it. It's it's I always really a pleasure to talk to you. And, Ron, I am really excited about the book and very appreciative of both of you for taking the time to come on the show. Well, we're a month away almost, you know, from it opening. I know it. Mm-hmm. We're almost there. Then the sickness begins. That's oh, yeah. for sure. That's, so it is. It's a disease. It really is. Yeah, and I'm I'm ready to get ill with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. So I, I appreciate y'all coming on. Glad glad we got it worked out and everything. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to y'all. Hope hope to meet y'all maybe next year at the NWTF or sometime before. Sounds good. With that, I'm going to say thank you. Ron and Tess, again, very much. We greatly appreciate it. And we, you know, for you guys to share your information with us about what you do in the woods with the cameras and video camera and the steel cameras is very helpful. And I, I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of use out of that. And I know, Ron, people are going to be beating your door down to get the book. I have zero doubt in my mind about that. So, Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll be good but thank you both very much hope you both have a great night and i look forward to seeing you here in about a week 
All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed the interview with Ron and Tess. Man, they have some experience in the woods. They do. You can tell. They spend so much time in the woods, even out of season, around turkeys, photographing them, that I don't know if there's maybe anybody around that knows the body language of a wild turkey any better than Ron and Tess. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of photographing and videoing. You can do that year-round, and it sounds like that's about what they do. I think they do some deer as well, but they seem pretty sold on the turkey. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that tip that Tess gave about those bridge cameras, Mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to look into those myself. Uh, It sounded like they're pretty compact, easy to carry for somebody who likes a running gun like myself. And, you know, I'd like to be able to, in 10 years, look back at hunts I've hunted this year. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. One thing that you don't know yet, Cameron, is it looks like me and my buddies from college are going to take an early trip this year in addition to our big trip that we do every year Uh and i think our early trip is going to be to georgia heck yeah and since i've already killed in georgia i'm going to take a video camera there you go and of course there's not going to be any don't shoot (laughs) okay now you can shoot it's going to be shoot whenever you're ready I'll try. And I'll to just get be it. running the camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because so if you call there's... up a, a Georgia gobbler on public land for one of your buddies, you're not going to tell him to wait till you have him in the frame. That's what you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to run the video camera. I think that'll be fun. And, you know, I'm going to use some of these tips that Ron and Tess gave us in their interview and you better believe I'll have the autofocus turned off that should be the number one thing to do yeah they, they made a big deal about that and it makes sense yeah you don't want to be focused on that tree limb in front of him yeah exactly that'll be pretty cool I've been wanting to do that and when we go on these trips man it's all about marking those states off the list and so i don't even if i kill first because you know typically we hunt in pairs Mm -hmm. but even if i kill first if one of the other guys have killed well we're taking one of the vehicles yeah and the two of us are moving on to the next state yeah so you know really there's not much opportunity to do any videoing of any of those guys hunts but this will be i've taken the camera with me before and never used it but i'll be taking the camera this year and i'm sure i'll have a gun in the truck since it's just a very short drive to get there but i do not think that i'll be taking a gun in the woods yeah so yeah you know, I'll probably do the Super Slam without a camera first, and then I'll go back and film it 
two or three times, do it another couple times. You should, that, that should be what you do next. When you finish your first Super Slam, you should go and self-film. An entire Super Slam. An entire Super Slam, and it's not through until you self-film killing a bird in every state. Would I have to actually get the bird in the film? Yeah. Otherwise, you just walk in the woods and run the video camera for a few minutes and go, well, we didn't get it on camera. <laughs> but here it is. As lo- I think as long as you hear the gunshot from the camera, it works. No. Yeah. I, well, we'll discuss that when I finish the first Super Slam. That's a pretty big ordeal on, in, the, in itself. But I might do that. I might take you up on that. I think you're gonna you're gonna try to wimp out and and dumb this second super slam down. Well, I might wait and do it on my third super slam. I don't know if I want to do it on the second one. Why not? Well, the second one, I might want to just see how fast I can do a super slam. You know, maybe speed. Single season. <laughs> Single exactly. <laughs> <laughs> killing killing the state every day. <laughs> <laughs> Single season Super Slam. Yeah, there's goal number two. Yeah. Jeff Buds has probably done it a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's physically possible. Yeah, I guess it's not, but it sure would be nice to do. Yeah, it would. It'd be kind of cool. Well, Andy, why don't you give us the turkey tip of the day this week since I was the one last week? Wow, you know, I really put you on the spot with that, too, last week, didn't I? Yeah, that's why I'm trying to jump in here with a on-the-spot right here, but you probably knew it was coming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I wasn't expecting it right there, so. All right, let's see. Today's calling tip of the week. Work on... The soft calling like we talked about last week with Scott Ellis and implement that soft calling into your calling sequences and add that realism into your calling sequence. You know, there's a big, big difference, just like, again, just like Scott said, in a hunter in the woods doing just calling sequence and it doesn't have to be the same sequence over and over and over again you know it can be yelps and clucks mixed together some purrs mixed in but when we add in the leaf scratching and we add in those little feeding whines and those if you can do them and I can't do them yet with a mouth call I'm going to work on it but those little dewdrop clucks a little yeah sound like a raindrop yeah but saturday my last day in the tree stand i watched two long beards mm. in my food plot feeding around and they would go through periods where they would feed quietly well okay they'd feed quietly meaning I couldn't hear them making any purrs or whines or anything. Yeah. And then for a period of like two or three minutes, almost straight, you know, almost solid, 
they would do feeding wines. Hmm. And so, and, and these are gobblers doing that. So, you know, that sound is something that I think really kind of makes another turkey think that you are a turkey if you make that because they don't hear it very often yeah. coming from hunters. And if you're hunting pressured birds, little things like that while you're scratching in the leaves mm-hmm. could be all you need. I like it. I'll tell you one thing about the soft calling for me is I'm pretty impatient. So rather than yelping every 30 seconds to him or cutting, being able to do soft calls, you can't hardly over call if you're just sitting there scratching the leaves and doing feeding lines. Right. So it kind of helps me bridge the gap between loud calling sessions. Yeah. And if you listen to Dave Owens, you know, he is calling almost nonstop. Yeah, exactly. And turkeys are always communicating. Exactly. And that's what he'll tell you is that, you know, those little purrs, those little whines, little clucks, you know, they're, they're constantly communicating. They're constantly making noise unless they are standing dead still at alert and then they're not making any yep. sound. But if they're just being turkeys, they're constantly making noise because they're constantly moving around in the leaves. They're not always scratching, but if they're feeding, they're scratching. And then there's the communication part of it going on. So, yeah, you're right. You you almost can't overcall. Yeah. If you're doing that yeah, soft, if you're doing soft stuff. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. You can yeah. if you're cutting and yelping loudly. You can definitely overcall in certain situations. <laughs> no doubt. That's yeah. a good tip, Andy. I like it. What I thought was interesting is, you know, I really couldn't tell a difference in the wines that I've heard from hens and the wines that came from those two toms. Were the wines more of like those three note kind of woo 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 those kind or were they like two the, note two note and three note what if you could do it with your voice to get as close as you can to what it would have sounded like well you did the three note yeah so it was just like a woo woo yeah exactly okay. and it was similar to the hen it wasn't any deeper more coarse anything like that not that i could tell interesting i've never heard a gobbler and, wine before because you know I haven't seen them that often in the fall. Well, yeah, and when I see him in the spring, it's a matter of, okay, he's in range, boom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, okay, he's in range, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> okay, so that's if you're hunting with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's if I'm hunting with anyone. <laughs> yeah. Remember, it's no fun if you only shoot once. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, well, you know, in spring when you call one in, he's not too concerned with feeding at the moment usually. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. So that that's interesting to hear that because I might, you know, everybody heard this past year I got into fall hunting and I, I might incorporate that into my fall hunts because I wouldn't have thought to put feeding wines in with it because if I'm trying to imitate a gobbler, I didn't even know they really did that. 
Yeah. They also made, uh, and I wish that I had it on video, they made some sort of a weird noise I had never heard a turkey make before. Hmm. And it was, it was it, watching them, and then they'd make that noise. It was almost like it was an alarm call, hmm. but it wasn't a putt. Because when they'd make this sound, if one, well, when one of them would make it, the other one would jerk his head up and just stand there and look. Yeah. And they'd both be looking around, and then, you know, they'd go back and start feeding again. That's interesting. And I thought that maybe, you know, there was a, a deer about to come up into the field or something, but I never did see a deer. Yeah, kind of a, so, hey, did you hear that call? <laughs> yeah. And like I said, I wish I had it on video and i did actually video those turkeys for about 15 minutes with my phone but i'm i haven't watched it to see if the audio is any good you know if there's any audio i can pull from it to use to play for the listeners to describe the sound was it more of a kind of sound or like a yelpish cough kind of sound like what yeah it was it was Gosh, really hard to describe because <laughs> this might it, be the magic like call said, we need to know, Andy. Yeah, from the way they acted when they did it, I don't think it is. That's the assembly gobbler call. It works every time. Uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I've got no audio evidence of it, and cannot tell you what it sounds like because I can't duplicate it. Hmm. It it was short and very you know it, it was a cut off kind of sound like a putt is you know where it's just that yeah it had that little very quick finish to it very sharp finish to it yeah. but it absolutely was not a putt I have heard it enough times to know <laughs> <laughs> I have heard enough gobblers putt to know that was not a putt. That's usually how so, I know the gobbler's there. Yeah, exactly. That's what wakes me up from my snore fest I have going on. But it was interesting. I again, I wish I had it on video, but and that's actually why I ran the video hmm. is because I wanted to get that sound. I wanted to get it on video to be able to hear it. Yeah. The golden call, and we may not even have evidence of it. No. But I could probably go back there tomorrow afternoon be and there. sit in that same stand because they're coming into that field every single day and have been for the past 45 days. They seem more patternable, if that's a word, in winter. Yeah. If that makes sense. They just seem like they don't have much on their mind. It's just, you know, hey, let's go eat here again and do our normal thing. Yeah. Because they're not interested in the girls been, yet. There have been a lot of days when they have spent almost the entire day in the food plot. Hmm. I mean, from like 8.30 in the morning until 3.30 in the afternoon. Wow. Well, if that doesn't teach you that if he was gobbling somewhere and then he just goes quiet, that, that doesn't mean he's exactly 
ran over the next mountain and into the next county, he might still be sitting there. Oh yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking that when that time comes when there's two or three days straight when I don't see them, mm-hmm. that that's probably going to be about the time that they hook up with the girls mm-hmm. and stay with them. Yeah, breeding starts taking place heavily. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be so, cool. You'll with the trail cameras and everything, you'll literally get to witness the flock dynamics take place on your property. Yeah. That'll be very neat. It'll be cool. And then sure. you'll go kill them and it'll be over. I hope I get to kill them. <laughs> they look like they look like they're probably two three year olds. Perfect. It was a little hard to see the spurs even with my binoculars up. But they are not rounded off. I'll say it that way. Yeah. They're not very long, you know, maybe an inch, but they're sharp. They're they're pointed. So I'm I'm leaning towards three year olds and I will need to ground check both of them to be sure. <laughs> Report back on the on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the plan. Well Andy, I think we had a great interview. I think your tip right there at the end's a good one. And I'm looking forward to well, turkey season. You. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, this weekend, as you guys know, I will be at the NWTF convention. And if you remember, I'm going to have a booth. The Turkey Hunter podcast will have a booth. And when I say I am, it's because Cameron, as I've already mentioned, is not going to be there. Of course. So (laughs) I'll have a booth and it's going to be in the registration area. So for you guys who've been to the Gaylord Opryland Convention Center, whatever it's called, for the NWTF convention, you know where the registration area is. It's where you go and you pick up your passes for the day to go into the show. And I would love to see you guys. So when you stroll through there and you get your passes, before you go into the convention and sports show area, We'll on by the Turkey Hunter podcast booth and say hello if I am there. I will be conducting some interviews away from the booth, but I will be conducting quite a few of them right there. And so I'd love to see you. Oh, and Cameron and I have a little giveaway. So stop by and ask about the giveaway. And we'll see if we can't get one of them in your hands. Absolutely. So, and if you see me wandering around the show, please stop me and say hello. I love meeting you guys at that show. It's a a great time for me to be able to shake some hands and thank you for listening. So, if you see me or you hear me, please holler at me. And that is my favor of the week. Stop by the Turkey Hunter podcast booth and say hello to Andy. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week with a ton 
of interviews from the NWTF convention. See y'all later. Goodbye. Goodbye.